What does compassion mean to you? Is it the act we partake in to try and help someone else's stresses? Is it acting out of the ordinary to help someone you've never met? Is it something you can use as a currency? What power does it use, or lack of use, have in your life or the lives of those around you? Is it the lives of a mother's sons from Waterford which answer these questions for us? This is their story. In Waterford City, in the late 19th century and into the dawn of the 20th century, eight brothers are born. Their names were Stephen, Michael, John, Joseph, Patrick, William, Richard and Thomas. Their surname was Collins. The Collins brothers were proud sons of Agnes and Thomas Clark. They were a working class Catholic family living in the busy little city. Times were tough for the Collins family. Waterford City had a population of over 2,000 people in it in 1911 and had lost up to 7,000 of its children to emigration in the previous decade. This was a slowly halting trend, at least. In the previous 60 years up to this point, and since the end of the famine, 110,000 people had left Waterford, never to return again. America, Britain and Australia had sorted up families, friends and neighbours, never to return home again. The port of Waterford had started to become an important trading point amongst the British Isles. Live cattle, sheep and other animals could be easily brought to the city's ports and shipped to England. As a result, the area began to grow slightly and large-scale fisheries, salt houses and breweries began to prosper in the city. Those who came by boat to purchase supplies often remarked on the scenery of the area and would later return on holidays, bringing their families and friends. The city had a well-connected railway line, easily connecting the city to Cork, Dublin and Rosslare. All these benefits started to appear however, but they were not for the advantage of the working class in the city. Like many other cities in Ireland, the poor were the cogs of the empire's machines. The food produced was not for them. The wealth at the ports was certainly not for them. The fruits of their labour were not to be enjoyed by them. As a result, many of the families in Waterford took work wherever they could. It was a common sight to see the men of the city go to the docklands each morning in the hope that they might be selected for some work and be able to bring home a threepence. A measly coin, with the face of either Queen Victoria or King Edward on it. A daily reminder for who your owner was. Six of the Collins brothers and their father worked wherever and whenever they could. The other two, Richard and Thomas, were too young still, but helped their mother at home in any way they could. Each of them just had a simple hope in life, that they could find a steady job, which they could rely on being there for them the following morning and make a night's sleep easier. 
If they could be guaranteed a salary, they could be guaranteed a life. The two eldest Rollins brothers, Patrick and William, whilst walking through the city one day, met an army recruiting officer. He discussed with them the lack of work, how they might like to keep their mother fed, and how nice it would be to have a real job. The option of death in a battlefield, with a warm meal in their bellies, far outweighed the alternative should they stay in Ireland, and they immediately took his offer. They became well-trained soldiers and were able to provide a relatively steady income for those left at home. On June 28, 1914, the world heard of the death of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. He had escaped a bombing attempt on his car, only to be assassinated later that day as the driver took a wrong turn and as he went to turn around, one of the bombers was sitting in a small coffee shop, spotted him through the window, walked out and pulled his trigger. Four weeks later, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia and started World War I. Britain quickly scurried for recruits to enter the war with. This war was to be like no other and people were required on a mass scale. The promise the war could be over before Christmas and that hot meals would be provided was enough for the large volume of men to join. Other tactics were used, such as women walking through town centres and publicly criticising young men in the town for not being real men going to war. In January 1916, the British government passed a ruling that specified all single men aged 18 to 40 years old were liable to be called up for military service unless they are widowed with children or ministers of a religion. Before this conscription, however, although it was not brought to Ireland, the next four sons, Agnes and Thomas, had seen their brothers prosper in the army and their incomes and smart uniforms made their older brothers look like millionaires. Once the war broke out and the mass recruitment drive began, Stephen, Michael, John, Joseph also joined the army. Stephen was just 16 at the time, but blind eyes were turned to him and the other 250,000 others being underage as there was a need for soldiers. The youngest two remained at home. The second batch of Collins brothers who entered the army were not as well trained as their older brothers. Given the mass movement of people in a short period of time, corners were cut in their training and not everyone gained the experience they would require on mainland Europe. Less than three weeks after the war began, young Stephen was given a tin hat, a gun and sent to war. He was deployed to France as a private in the 2nd Battalion of the Royal Irish Regiment. He landed in northern France and it took them two months to travel the 95 kilometres by foot to get slightly closer to the Belgian border. It was here that Stephen took part in the Battle of Le Bessie. The first nine days of the battle were carnage and there were scenes of horrific bloodshed. The old gears of war met the new 
and whilst the Germans stood in new uniforms built for movability due to modern advances in killing machines, the French showed up on horseback, some of them with single loaded guns as though they were fighting in the 19th century. As the 19th century met the 20th century, the soldiers were ordered to dig trenches to get below modern warfare. On the ninth day of battle, after witnessing some of the most horrific scenes ever witnessed by human eyes, young Stephen's life was ripped from him as he became one of the thousands of deaths that left the battalion completely destroyed. Due to the nature of the war and the battlefield of play, Stephen's body was never recovered. The following day, a telegram was sent to his mother informing her of his death. Today, he is commemorated on the Le Tourette War Memorial in France. Michael, like Stephen, also joined the Royal Irish Regiment. After the death of his younger brother, Michael continued to fight bravely through the war. After a series of pushes and stops, he managed to make it as far as Aubers Ridge in Flanders in May 1915. When his regiment were arranging themselves for battle, they found they had been severely shortchanged. An ammunition shortage and problems with trench layout and communications contributed to a disastrous result for the Allies. In a matter of moments, once the shooting started, 11,000 men, including the 24-year-old Michael, were torn to pieces in a single day. Such were the conditions of the bodies on the battlefield. It was not possible to identify, let alone recover his body. The following day, a telegram was sent to his mother informing her of his death. He is commemorated in Ypres on the Menin Gate Memorial. John joined a different regiment when he signed up to go to war. He joined the South of Ireland group called the Munster Fusiliers. Historically, the Royal Munster Fusiliers were a group of men who knew how to get a job done. They never shied from battle and often found themselves on the front lines where no else would go. They were often under strength, had poor numbers and equipment, but a ferocious bravery. This was highlighted in the Battle of the Sam. They had spent months overachieving to make it this far. Although the Sam was where many of them would go to meet their maker, 22-year-old John amongst them, as he became one of the million soldiers that was injured or killed during this battle. The following day, a telegram was sent to his mother informing her of his death. He is commemorated today on the Thrifle Memorial of the Missing of the Somme in France. Joseph too took a different route to his brothers. He found himself on the harsh eastern front of the war. Whilst fighting his way through Solankia, Joseph found himself standing next to an exploding shell which pierced every inch of his body. From his head to his feet, everything was torn. His body was not found after the battle. As many others had suffered the same fate, it was difficult to identify who was who. Even those who had survived the impacts of the shells would have to have fully recovered first before being identifiable. 
the following day, a telegram was sent to his mother informing her of his death. Patrick, the now experienced soldier, had one of the most difficult tasks during the war. He was a second corporal in the 173rd Tunneling Company of the Royal Engineers. His job was to dig under the battlefields, tunnel for miles with just enough room to move a shovel. When he would then reach the other side, he would plant a bomb under the enemy's trench and set it off. Often, as they tunnelled, they would meet German soldiers coming the other way doing the same thing and knife fights would begin. Patrick survived nearly four years of war and died just before the Allies advanced to victory. He was most likely killed in a tunnel and his body was never recovered. When he failed to return from a mission, the following day a telegram was sent to his mother informing her of his death. In the nine years since he had enlisted, William had seen the worst of humanity. He had seen for himself the lengths a man would go to to protect himself and those he cares for. He had seen what one human could do to another. Not only had he seen it, he had lived it, felt death in his hands, taken life from those he had no issue with. Kill or be killed was now the life he understood. He had not seen compassion in war, only horror. That was until the death of Patrick, when the fifth letter was sent to his mother informing of his brother's deaths, a sixth letter was written. The sixth letter informed William he was to be released on compassionate grounds for his mother. When he returned home, Ireland had changed forever. The 1916 Rising had taken place and a new wave of republicanism had swept through the country. He, like many others who had been to war, was seen as a traitor for having been part of the British Army who killed the brave men and women of 1916. There was no sympathy for his time in war, no respect for his dead, no compassion for the lives given to protect others. He arrived home to a mother who had lost five of her sons. She had been abandoned by the boy's father midway through the war, left alone to raise the two youngest, Richard and Thomas. The compassion shown to William, his mother and his brothers did not last very long however, as he was recalled to battle in the dying days of the war. The gods can be cruel, and the gods can be kind. When William left for his second round in the slaughterhouse of Europe, Joseph remarkably arrived home. After the shell exploded, he was found barely breathing a few days later on the battlefield and taken to a convent for sanctuary. He made a remarkable recovery and was sent home to Waterford to spend the rest of his days in excruciating pain. William fought on and lived to see the day the guns were put down and the men of war walked away. 
William Collins left the army in 1919 after serving nine years and 362 days in the horrors of hell. Work for a former British soldier wasn't easy to find in Waterford, and he spent most of his working life in London after marrying a woman from Waterford and having six sons and a daughter of his own. Just 20 years later, William watched as his own boys headed off to the battlefields in Europe to face the horrors of war once again. Today's music was written, performed and produced by Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by myself, Oren. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help support the podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash weetheirish or leave us a review on your podcast app. We the Irish is an Ireland Loves production. Oren is Adam Dunn. Margaret Slonish. the big one the sky half price sale is here choose from award-winning sky tv and everything on netflix or unmissable sports with every single live premier league game on sky sports bt sport and premier sports all half price take sky cinema and watch the biggest blockbusters or grab sky broadband ultra fast for lightning fast speed choose one that suits you they're all half price for six months save big in the sky half price sale Search Sky Half Price. Availability subject to location, TV and broadband products sold separately. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. Setup fees, min terms and further terms apply. Offer ends 2nd of September.